With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Another promising opportunity. A stunning goal from Paul Stoutani. His first in English football. And it's given Tottenham a very comfortable lead going into halftime. Hello and welcome to The Last Word on Spurs. Hope you are keeping safe, hope you are keeping well. Delighted to have back alongside me, John from Lily White Rose. John, how are you? Hey Ricky, yeah, doing really well, thank you. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited for tonight's pod. We've got another excellent uh, former Spurs player and I'm sure our listeners are really looking forward to hearing who it is and hearing from him tonight. So we're delighted to welcome... A player that is very, very well known, of course, for that late winner against West Ham. We've got the brilliant Paul Stalteri on the last word on Spurs. Paul, how are you? I'm well, guys. How is everything going? Yeah, we're OK. It's been a bit of a crazy time, John, hasn't it, in this last couple of months? Yeah, you know, absolute madness. I mean, similar to uh, over here in North America, in, in, in Toronto, in Canada. Uh, very similar to where, you know, you guys have faced uh, similar kind of uh, challenges and uh, that uh, the UK is faced, England's faced, the rest of the world has really faced. Um, yeah, something like everyone has probably said, uh, something we never thought we'd see uh, in our time. But uh, yeah, very, very strange. And, um, you know, we're slowly, slowly starting to get out of things here in, uh, here in Canada. And hopefully that's a, that's a good sign. Good sign to see some football being played over the weekend in, in the Bundesliga. That's uh, that's something to keep an eye on as well. I'm assuming uh, for all of the all of the English fans in the Premiership as well, because if um, if that league is is continuously going and and there's no hiccups and no problems, I think that's a that's a good sign not just for the Premiership but uh, for the rest of the leagues all of all across Europe that are ready or or ready almost and trying to get their leagues going again before. Uh, and, and getting a proper conclusion, to say the least, as opposed to cancelling or ending the season as, as some of these have forced up to be done. The bigger leagues, I always thought, would come back, mainly owing to the, the money in the game. Well, we're going to forget all that for the next hour and a bit because, Paul, we're going to talk about your journey and what a fabulous career you have had. I know we joked off air that you felt it was more of a steady career, but there's been some really amazing feats in it. So we're really pleased to have you on the show and, of course, discuss your time at Spurs. But let's go back to the very, very start, you was born to an Italian father and a Guyanese mother. 
and considered physical education to be your favourite subject from a very early age. You also mentioned that for you, your favourite player growing up was Paolo Maldini. Therefore, is it always going to be the case, Paul, that you was going to be a defender if you made it professionally? You know, growing up, like uh, like most players, you want to score goals. You want to you you, you don't ever a lot of uh, young players don't say you want to be, you know want to play at the back. I don't have too many kids when I'm coaching nowadays. Say so I want to go at the back when they're eight or nine years old or ten years old. Um, and I was no no different. I wanted to score goals, and you know I actually started when I most of my career up until my early uh, early twenties playing more of an attacking uh, an attacking role, and then. Uh, Slowly, when I got to Germany, the, that kind of transitioned into a, a, a role of uh, all over the pitch kind of thing, where it was you almost a, a bit of a utility, where I could play in pretty much uh, any position uh, on any different uh, on every given weekend. It was one season there in Bremen where I think I played every position on the pitch. So um, it, that was the kind of the case, and then it kind of got more into the fullback role. Uh, probably mid twenties and later on in my career, that's how I probably finished out the the greater part of my career. But early on, it was definitely a, a, a it was more of an attacking role, and then it kind of went into an all around role, and then it went into more of a, a strictly fullback role. Paul, I understand that your first live football match uh, you went to see was the Toronto Blizzards, a soccer club based in Toronto in Canada that actually played in the North American Soccer League. What was that like for you, and how would you describe the caliber of that league? Yeah, it was. Very, it's 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 strange. It's it's something so similar to what's going on now in Canada with the new Canadian Premier League that's that's just started up. Uh, we were slowly entering into our second season here until uh, until we came into this uh, uh, the pandemic uh, arrived and kind of brought all the preseason to a halt. So we're uh, you know we're uh, we were about to enter into our second season, and, and last season was. Very reminiscent of that time in the in the in the CSL in the Canadian Soccer League when uh, the Blizzard played in 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 that league with teams across the country and uh, we had uh, you know some fond memories of going down and watching the games uh, uh, there and it's very similar to the feeling you know bringing my son down to some of the games last season here in the, in Toronto and in, in just outside of Toronto where the where York uh, where York Nine where the club I'm. Um, uh, helping out this season where they play and it's a you know kind of a similar feeling because it's the Canadian league with a lot of uh, with all the Canadian teams across the country and the level uh, then was was quite decent a lot of Canadian players played in that league a lot of Canadian players who played in the World Cup back in 86 played in that league so it was quite successful um, and you know the level of play uh, last season and leading into this season has been uh, relatively a, a, a positive surprise better than and at a higher level than I think a lot of play a lot of people would have imagined and thought so which is a good thing and uh, like I said it, it reminds me a lot when I was young bringing my son there and when my father brought me there to to watch the, the, something at a similar level now Paul while playing youth soccer in Ontario with the Moulton Bullets you won a Robbie International Soccer Tournament Championship and in 1996 you then began your soccer career playing one year of college soccer at Clemson University in 1996 where you played as a defender on either side of the flank as well as midfield. Tell us what that level was like, Paul, and did you know that would eventually lead to a professional move for you? To be honest, at the time, it was uh, it was more or less what uh, what the player what the pathway for a lot of the players was is to maybe uh, go down to the US. MLS was just starting to get going at that time. Uh, that was an option. Maybe you play three, uh, you know, play four years, graduate from the university, maybe get drafted into the MLS. Or uh, if you're real ambitious, you, your thoughts were in Europe. Uh, my thoughts were still at the time in Europe, but um, it was very, very difficult to get there. So it was, you know, uh, okay, let's. Uh, we're down in the states. It was. It was more of a, a four-year plan to go down and get a university degree and, and see what happened after that. But. Um, Things change all the time in, in, in sports, especially when you want to become a professional. And it was one of those situations where after uh, one season, I had another option uh, to leave and become a professional playing my, my, my home city here. So um, those things kind of change. But the plan was to go there for, for four years and see what happened after that, whether that was going to be MLS or maybe even hopefully Europe. But uh, I realized quickly that, you know, um, there was another opportunity for me to leave and, and I took that. That was obviously when you elected to turn professional, signing a contract with the Toronto Lynx whilst attending York University. Now, after playing one season with the Lynx alongside fellow Canadian national teammate Dwayne Di Rosario, where he led the team in scoring with eight goals and two assists, you were quickly noticed by a scout from Werder Bremen and then purchased by the club. 
talk us through what that was like and how quickly that move escalated, you know, Bremen's interest and sort of what were you thinking moving to Germany at the time? It came real quick uh, that that season because I just finished, like you said, I just left Clemson uh, to join up with uh, with the Toronto Lynx, a newly formed uh, professional club uh, in, in the North American A-League, uh, a league, say, just under the MLS, uh, the second tier to MLS at that time. So I played the summer months uh, through the season. I had finished uh, uh, the entire season with them. We were quite successful. We got to the playoffs. We had a good, uh, you know, a good campaign for our opening season, um, which was which was quite successful, both on and off the pitch. Uh, and then I, in, uh, you know, I was enrolled as well in York University. I was enrolled in school, uh, so I was there for about six six or seven weeks. And uh, yeah, an opportunity came for me to Germany into a club uh, called for me called Werder Bremen, which was you know the Bundesliga at that time didn't have the the, the coverage not near the coverage that it has now, um, or in within the say in the last 10, 15 years where it's gotten much more coverage. Uh, at that time when I was growing up, uh, the biggest covered leagues were. For the Premiership in the Serie A here in uh, in Toronto in Canada, so that was you know that was the case. But uh, yeah, it was an opportunity to go over there, and and uh, they invited me there for for uh, a trial that uh, that obviously I was never going to say no to. And things happened very very quickly after you know nine or ten days at the club. Uh, I was offered a I was offered a contract, and uh, things kind of went from there. So it was uh, I was real fortunate. It was a uh, it was a time that I was, you know, football for me was the first time I kind of shut down for a little while because I had been go 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 for for a good solid two years where I hadn't had a break as a young as a young player. So I was on a little bit of a break to be honest. And then this this kind of came up uh, came about and it went real real fast uh, after that. After two and a half seasons in the reserves, you made your debut with the club in August 2000, scoring the first game of the season. Um, and you were playing against Canadian teammate Kevin McKenna. Both were the first Canadians ever to see action in the top German league. Tell us what that was like for you. And was there ever a concern in your mind that you was never going to make it, given how long you had to wait for your debut? And how much did it help you scoring on your first appearance for the club? Yeah, a couple of things there. I mean, you know, you you, you look back at the time and it was about two, two and a half seasons where, you, um, where you're getting real frustrated because, you know, when I, you first got in there, you thought... Uh, you're thinking you could jump right in and 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 help out and play and compete because you're doing that on an everyday basis. You know, it was a time when I'm training. You're training every day with the with the first team players. You're you're kind of part of the squad, but you're not playing in games. You're playing most of your games in the in the second team and then in the reserves. Um, but the reserve league in Germany is, is much different than in than in the UK. It's a it's a league where the uh, the teams compete in, with in, in either the third or fourth division. It depends on where you where your club is um, at that time. So uh, in Bremen, we we competed in the third uh, in the third tier of, of of German football, which was quite high. Uh, so it was quite competitive. You're playing against former players. You're playing against former Bundesliga players. You're playing against players who who are vying to to get into the Bundesliga clubs, trying to get into the second Bundesliga at the time. Uh, so it was quite competitive league, which was which was good to have those games as opposed to just a, a kind of a Monday or Tuesday reserve game, um, which is a little bit of a difference than in, than in the UK. But yeah, during those times, you're thinking you're ready to go. But I think the best thing for me at that time was to learn the trade and, and you know, fight those those couple of seasons and get myself uh, really understanding the European game, really understanding the German game, the German football, going to the stadium every week. Or every other week, watching the watching from the stands and, and really getting to learn the league, which was I think the best thing for me. If you got thrown right into it, I'm not sure it would have been as successful as uh, as really learning the trade that it, that took me. During that time, I was really close uh, a few times. There was about four or five times where I was where I was on the bench. Uh, you know, actually even real close to getting subbed into a couple of those games, but things just uh, sometimes didn't did, you know just didn't work out, and it wasn't uh, wasn't my time, but. Um, when I finally was able to to make that uh, make my debut, it was, it was quite good because it kind of it came to that whole entire preseason with the first team. I had you know played uh, played a lot of the free uh, preseason friendly matches. Um, I was having a real good time. I was at a you know a good period in my my career at the time at the club, showing well in training and games. And you know at that time you're proving yourself not just in friendly matches, you're proving yourself in every single training session, uh, trying to get not just uh, on the game sheet, you're trying to get into the squad first, and then you're trying to get uh, uh, on the pitch. So that that's that's where I was at that time, and you know it was uh, it was kind of building up to that first Bundesliga game of the year, where you know it was highly anticipated, obviously after the break, and 
I think Kevin, who was a real good friend of mine, still a real good mate of mine, one of my best mates, you know, he's in a similar situation out in Cutbos uh, with his club. And it was kind of a coincidence that we were both playing, you know, we we're playing against each other. And uh, it ended up that uh, he, he was playing as well, making his debut. I was making my debut. Like I said, I was playing more of a more of an attacking role at that time when I first got there. Kevin was at the back, and you know, till this day, I can still give him the gears that I got the best of him on our debut. So um, that's something. Uh, it was real special, and it was a it was a special moment to to share with one of my best uh, one of my best mates in the in the game. During the 2001-2002 season, you then went on to establish your role in the first team at Bremen, and went on to cement your role as a regular in the 2002-3 season. Bremen were crowned Bundesliga champions and German Cup winners in 2003-04. I mean, just for some of our fans who maybe don't know Bremen's history and the size of the club too well, can you just let us know sort of how much of a big achievement that actually was? And I mean, to win the double, both the league title and the cup, in that history-making season just makes the feat seem even more impressive. Can you just tell us what that was like and just sort of the, the history of Bremen, as I said? It's well-established. I mean, it's a inside of German football, one of the one of the more successful clubs. It's got a star on its badge. You know, we were the we were the last team to win to win the Bundesliga. We, you know, we were the ones that got the star back onto the bat got onto the badge. So those, you know, those aren't easy to come by in Germany. And when you have that on your on your badge, you know that you the club has got some success and had some success. Um so that that's very special and very proud from from what we were able to achieve uh for the club. I mean the club is a you know like I said in the 90s, it was it was uh, a club under Otto Rehagel who had managed the, the the club for a number of years. He went on to win the the European Championship with with Greece. Um, you know, he was uh, they called him the king, the king of Bremen, the König um, at that time. They were the biggest rivals of Bayern Munich at the time. So Bremen has a huge history of being successful. Um, then they kind of went into a law there where when Otto when Otto had left, he went and actually joined Bayern. I was manager there and, uh, you know, the club kind of went, uh, you know, changed managers a number of times, a number of seasons and didn't really, you know, get back going until Thomas Schaff took over the club. And, you know, he managed, he ended up taking over for about 13 odd seasons as well. So um, and now they're kind of back to the same thing where they're struggling again uh, since he had left. So but the club in general is is real successful. It's one of the bigger clubs in, in, in German football. Uh, they've had big success over the years. Um, they were they never managed to win the double until that season, so it's something that was very very special for us uh, to not only win the Bundesliga, but we were able to to win the champ the the cup a couple of weeks after that, uh, and be the first team in the history of the club to win the double. So um, yeah, it's like I said, it's a, it's a club struggling really at the moment right now. Unfortunately, if you look at the table, we're we're really struggling, but uh, it's a club that's got a big big history in German football. I think they've only been down once ever in the history of the uh, of the competition, and uh, hopefully this season's not the second time. But it's uh, you know we're fingers crossed that they can turn it around and, and get themselves back to where where they were for a number of years, and I was playing Champions League football for a lot of years there. Just one more on that. I understand at the time you were the only Canadian international to ever win the Bundesliga title. Is a certain young Alfonso Davis now challenging you for that role? No, don't doubt Alfonso's in a, in a, in a fantastic club. He's you know, one of the biggest, ones, biggest clubs in the world. Uh, last year, obviously, they won the championship. He got there in January, but uh, you know, he played limited minutes, so it's, it's a different situation than he is in this year. I think this year... If they do manage to win the title, you know, fantastic for him. And it'll be one of those where he, you know, he knows that this year he's really played a huge role and a main role in, in, in winning that title. Sometimes when you get there in the middle of the season and you, you only play a few a handful of games, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a different feeling, if you understand what I mean, as opposed to playing every week, week in and week out, uh, like he's doing now. And, and they're at the top of the table. He's had a fantastic season. Um, I actually, uh, you know, coached uh, coached Alfonso in our youth teams and with the Canadian, uh, and even with the Canadian team, and even in our in our senior team. So he's a he's a player I know really really well, and you know, really really pleased to see him, you know, hit the real ground running this season with Bayern. Paul, whilst having that domestic success and that brilliant achievements with Werder Bremen, you also on the international stage doing some fantastic things with Canada. You was a regular for the Canadian national team. You made a national record of 84 appearances at the senior level, scoring seven goals. 
You was also part of the squad that won the Gold Cup in 2000. You was named um, most capped Canadian of all time until the record was surpassed by Julian de Guzman in 2015. You was named the team captain for a friendly on the 1st of June 2007 against Venezuela. And you remained the captain for the international fixtures for the rest of the entirety of the 2007 Gold Cup. Tell us... What do you make of your achievements that you had, if we've been honest with you? Because it was incredible for you on the international stage. In fact, you were also inducted into the Canadian Soccer Hall of Fame in 2017. I mean, when I ask you to sum that all up, is that the proudest moments of your footballing career on the international stage? If I look back on it, uh, winning the Gold Cup is, is was something real, real special. Um, at that time, especially being so young, uh, and that was really the first, uh, the first trophy, the first major trophy Canada had won. Uh, so that was something fantastic, a huge achievement for us. Um, you know, the first trophy, first major trophy that I was able to win. We were successful in youth teams. We got into two World Cups, uh, uh, U17, U20 World Cups. So we we had you know our fair success uh, playing with the national teams in our in in the youth, which was uh, which is not always the norm in Canada. But we were we were quite successful that generation, and then we got into that Gold Cup and went on a fantastic run, and we were able to. To win that is win that tournament, which was something real, real special for us. Um, then you know we played a number of Gold Cups after that. What the World Cup qualifying, um, capping your country, something uh, real, real special. I was able to do that for a number of years, and uh, that's something that's uh, that's something really, really special for any player to be able to captain their their country. And now you know you'll never forget that uh, being able to at one point. Uh, surpassed the record of, of caps at 84 was something uh, that I'll never forget as well. And, the, you know, there was also, I think there was a stat at the time when those guys, when they told me it was, a, it was 83, it wasn't, eight, it was 84 games, but it was 83 consecutive starts, which was something I think, um, you know, it's not, uh, I'm not big on uh, numbers. I'm not big on records. I'm not kind of, uh, uh, I never really looked at uh, numbers too often, but when you, when I thought back of 83 consecutive starts, that's something, um, Real, real special to to see that it was uh, not just uh, eighty four games. It was you know, it was eighty three consecutive games where I've you know uh, where you're picked in the first eleven, which is something real, uh, real memorable as well. Well, moving on from your international success and now to your big move to Tottenham that came around in May two thousand and five. Tottenham had announced they'd agreed a deal to sign you. However, you had announced before the Spurs move that you'd be leaving uh, Bremen at the end of that season with your contract expiring. You'd been repeatedly linked with the move to the Premier League and reportedly turned down a switch to Crystal Palace the summer before. Both Manchester City and Charlton Athletic were also mooted as admirers of you, but Spurs won the chase for your signature. How early on did you hear of Spurs' interest and what made you feel this was the right time to come to the Premier League and join Tottenham? At that moment, uh, you know, I'd spent uh, seven and a half seasons in in Germany and uh, at, at Bremen, and it was a like you said, my contract was roll, was coming to an end that year, and it was a, there was an opportunity to extend in Bremen. I didn't really want to, I didn't really ever want to leave Bremen and join another Bundesliga club. That was something that I kind of uh, made a decision in my mind uh, from the get go that, that I didn't want to do. If I was going to stay in Germany, I was going to stay in Bremen, um, and most likely, you know, the age that I was at, it was either the the perfect opportunity to to move somewhere and experience something different, um, and or stay at stay in Bremen. And if I you know done that, it would probably would have been uh, maybe finishing my career there if I, if I was lucky enough and fortunate enough at the time. But um, so I'd always wanted to play in the in the Premiership. There, were, like I'd said, uh, growing up, English football, Italian football was was more uh, more seen here in North America, especially in, in Canada. So it was a it was a dream of mine to maybe to go there one day and it was, like I said there was um, with my contract running out there were some opportunities there um, you know there was a few clubs that were were in touch uh, in England and a few other countries as well but Tottenham got real serious um, you know in that in that uh, in the new year there uh, I'd say you know if I look back just before I'd signed you know I know that uh, they were following me for a number of games in the, in the Champions League at the time and. And then the Bundesliga, and it got uh, kind of serious in the just after, uh, just after the winter into the March April there, and uh, uh, where we sat down with them and we were able to have uh, uh, good conversations with Martin Yol, Frank Arneson at the time was the sport director who was uh, who was in charge and really led the charge 
for me to get there because you know he was he was doing a lot of work with the contracts and obviously signing the players. So he was he was a big factor of me going and joining there and, and meeting Martin and speaking to him as well was uh, uh, really kind of made that decision. It was the best best place for me to go. The club that really wanted me the most, the club that I got the feeling that really wanted me the most, and that's uh, that's kind of what you make your decision based on, and that's what I wanted to make my decision based on. It wasn't uh, uh, based on, uh, let's say, financial or or this or that. It was just more or less what what feeling you got from the club wanting you the most, and you, where you thought you would fit in the most. And uh, uh, Tottenham was uh, in a situation where they were building a real strong club. They had some real good young players there. I think Frank Arneson signed a number of players uh, at that time, and and the club was really on the up. So it was a it was a great uh, it was a great opportunity uh, to join, and uh, yeah, so that's why I decided on on Tottenham. You said Arneson was very much you know integral to bringing you to Tottenham at the time. He was overjoyed that you signed for Spurs ahead of some really stiff competition. He said, I'm delighted that we can announce our next signing for the new season. Paul Stalter is a defender who can play in midfield, so he's a multifunctional player who can play on both sides. He's just come from a tough environment in Werder Bremen, and their players are very well known for their mentality. So, you've mentioned about Frank Arneson. Tell us, was Daniel Levy at all involved in any of the kind of negotiations? Was it all directly kind of handled by Frank Arneson at the time? And obviously, of course, you met Martin on the way. More or less with Frank uh, at that time. That's That was his job. Uh, that was, you know, he was the, the sport director um, and he was in charge of building the squad and building the team alongside Martin. Um, you know, I met Daniel as well, but... Uh, it wasn't uh, it, more of the more most of the contact was through was through Frank and 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 getting those details done. Uh, it was all most of the negotiations done with with myself, uh, my agent, and Frank. Spurs at that time, as you alluded to, had some really great young players, and and that summer they'd already struck deals for uh, yourself, Timu Tainio, who was joining from Auxerre on a free transfer, uh, Tom Huddleston, who joined from Derby County. As Martin Yole looked to take the side into Europe. Did you feel at the time after meeting Martin and seeing the players in the squad that that, that was possible? And, and how did you rate Martin as a manager? I touched on there is that, uh, you know, they had uh, a number of players and they were building a real good squad, I thought. Uh, you know, they were they had some some real good attackers, Robbie Keane, Jermaine Defoe. Um, there was some, you know, the, the team was solid at the back, Michael Dawson, Ledley King. So there was a there was a base there, Michael Carrick in midfield. There was uh, Tom Huddleston joining in as well. There was you know the real spine of the team was strong. He was, Martin meeting him, you could see that his passion for the game and he wanted to win more than anything. That was a, that was one indication I think I got from early on. You know he just wanted to win games. He just wanted to to, to be successful and um, you know but he wanted to play football and he. He knew the German game quite a bit. He knew me as a player a lot, so it was, uh, I was comfortable with him from the from the moment that I kind of met him. And uh, I thought at that time we something you know there was there the squad was being built, like I said, and there was a number of high high profile, high level quality quality players in the team. And it was just a matter of maybe getting that consistency going, and we were able to do that. Uh, and Martin was able to do that, and he had a big he was a big factor in in the success of the of the football club. We are going to go for a very quick break and when we return we're going to be discussing Paul's debut for Spurs. We're going to be discussing that fantastic long-range goal against Leicester City. He also scored of course against Man City as well and what it was like playing in the North London derby and of course Lasagna Gate scoring against West Ham. That very, very famous goal that Paul is ultimately renowned for and of course the rest of Paul's career. So do not go anywhere. We are back after this very, very short break. Paul, one question I must ask you about was your choice of shirt number at Tottenham. Um, because obviously, historically in English football, we have number two for the right back and number three for the left back. But you were actually number seven. Was that something the club asked you to do or did you just fancy choosing that number? Yeah, I think it was more of a coincidence at the time. Uh, I grew up uh, playing with number seven uh, my entire youth career and also uh, uh, my entire career with the national team. I had worn number seven, like I said earlier in my career, I was playing more of an attacking player. I was able to have that number in Bremen for a number of seasons, and it was just more of a comfort level. And it was uh, it was a number free. It was available at the club at the time. Uh, I don't even think two was available at the time. Um, so it was more of a coincidence than anything. But uh, you know, I'm kind of more of a traditionalist as well. Uh, when I look back, and when I'm doing my uh, when I'm a, when I'm a coach now and manager now, my my fullbacks are definitely wearing two and three as well. But uh, it was more of a more or less a comfort level and, and something that uh, that was available, so I had taken it. But 
Of course, I understand the traditionalists in England didn't uh, probably uh, take to that as as <laughs> as uh, as they would uh, would see their fullbacks uh, wearing two and three and their wingers more seven and eleven. So, and I understand that completely. On the 13th of August 2005, you made your Tottenham Hotspur debut against Portsmouth in a 2-0 away win at Fratton Park, which was never really an easy place to go. The goals came through an Andy Griffin own goal and a superb effort from Jermaine Defoe. Spurs on the day were without the injured Edgar Davids, Robbie Keane and Nedley King. And we gave debuts to, alongside you, Wayne Routledge and Timu Tainio. What were your memories of that day? And especially, of course, pulling on that jersey for the first time. It was it was fantastic. I mean, it was uh, it was a tough it was a tough battle for me in preseason because of uh, my last game. I'd never been really injured in uh, in my career in Bremen. I had uh, never really suffered any long term injuries. Missed the odd game here and there, but not uh, nothing really long term. Uh, and then my last game in, in Kaiserslautern um, in the Bundesliga, uh, I tore my tore the ligaments in my ankle. So it was uh, it was a real unfortunate end to my career there uh, in Bremen, but. Um, you know, something that, uh, you know, I thought maybe two, three, four weeks max uh, kind of turned into two, three months. It was almost three months before I was able to get going again. So um, between the last game of the season in, with Bremen and just maybe uh, joining up with a squad probably two weeks before the Premiership uh, began, I think my uh, I managed to play in the, in the preseason, the last preseason game at White Hart Lane um, in the last friendly of the year, which was... Uh, but I just started training, so I'd missed most of the preseason. I'd missed the uh, trip out to Asia, uh, so I'd missed uh, a, a big chunk. So it was a difficult preseason for me. It was tough to get uh, to get tough to get going. But my goal was to get ready and fit for that first uh, first league match away to Portsmouth, which was uh, which fortunately for me worked out. I just barely made it. I was uh, you know probably wasn't even a hundred hundred percent at the time, but um, fortunately I was able to 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 get fit enough and be selected for that game. Uh, and and again, came away with three points. Uh, Wayne made his debut. He played right in front of me on that on, on that day as well. Tamer was in midfield, um, a good friend of mine as well. So it was a it was a real special time for myself. Uh, I remember my my wife traveled down to the game with Tamer's wife. So it was a, it was a it was a good moment for us. Now onto a moment that maybe wasn't such a good moment was the eighth of January two thousand six, where Mark De Vries scored an injury time winner for Leicester City as they came from two goals down to defeat us in the FA Cup. Jermaine Genus had put us in front with a close-range finish before you scored a spectacular long-range goal. What are your memories of that goal and, and were you disappointed that after scoring a goal of, of that nature, it didn't count for something more? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it was a, it was a great strike, but nothing more, really. It was a, a situation where we, we let it slip away. We, uh, we should never have lost that uh, that match, and yeah, like I said, it was a it was a great strike. It was a memorable one, but um, at the same time, uh, you you had taken away that goal and, and and left with a victory at any time. So it was uh, it was kind of one of those ones where it was short lived, uh, just because the result was uh, was one that we should never have uh, really never really lost. We should have moved on in that in that and made a real run. We had a good enough team to make a real run in that FA Cup, but uh, yeah, we just. Uh, uh, it didn't work out for us on the day, so it was unfortunate, but uh, yeah, bittersweet in one sense. 8th of April 2006, you and Michael Carrick struck either side of the interval to maintain Spurs' bid to qualify for the Champions League. You opened the scoring in the 44th minute after Man City keeper David James safe from Robbie Keane. What was your memories like from that game? Because I remember definitely in that period, Spurs, you know, we were relentless. We truly believed that we were going to get you know, into the Champions League, that fourth spot. We had Edgar Davids in midfield. We really were, as a team and supporters, fully believing we were going to qualify for the Champions League. Was the spirit just so high at the time in the camp? Yeah, it was. I mean, we were under uh, we were under that situation where we had that, you know, that fourth spot pretty much all season. We were, uh, and, you know, we were playing at, at a real high level. Uh, results were going our way. We managed to, you know, that was a big game for us. We knew we needed to win that one as well uh, to keep the momentum and keep our, you know, you know, our bid for that fourth spot in our hands. And we were, we were able to do that. And like I said, you know, that time, that time is where, you know, decisions, you know, are made in leagues and, and things are, you know, April, March, April is a, is a real important period in the, in the leagues. And that was a period that we need, you know, we needed to, to, to win we knew we needed to win that match and that was a it was a good one for us we were able to do that and um, you know we were able to continue to push push on and keep keep that lead against uh, 
our, our tribals uh, for for as long as possible. But we all know, unfortunately, what uh, what happened uh, after that. Talking about our arch rivals, now you actually got to play in the last ever North London derby at Highbury. It was a game that was highly charged. Both clubs went into it. Tottenham sort of felt confident going into the game for the first time in a number of years going over to Highbury. And we took the lead via Robbie Keane's goal after an uh, incident with Arsenal players sort of clattering into each other and Martin Yol issuing a play-on uh, cry from the touchline. Thierry Henry equalised late on. And in my opinion, there was a foul in the lead-up to the goal by Emmanuel Adebayor. What are your memories of that day? Did the people at Tottenham sort of tell you how big the North London derby with Arsenal was and how much it meant to the fans? And what were your memories of the atmosphere of that day? You know, I knew about the rivalry myself already. I mean, I know that it was the, you know, a massive one. Um, obviously, there was a big gap uh, in the number of years leading up to that season to, between the two clubs. Uh, Arsenal had the upper hand for a number of years there uh, against us. But going into that season... You know, as as the season continues to go on and on, we, we you know we start to gain that confidence, and we're going into that final final game at Highbury, the final you know I think it was the second last game at Highbury, but the final North London game there, like you said. But it was uh, you know we were high on confidence. We were in a situation where we knew we we, we could get a result. Um, we were up in the game, uh, and then yeah, Thierry Henry uh, he comes on literally probably in his first touch. Uh, uh, he puts a you know a real. Tierney felt, you know, a great little goal that he just takes on one little touch and just kind of flicks it with the outside of his boot, if I remember right, past uh, past the keeper. But uh, yeah, if I'm if I'm being biased, there was, you know, I'd have to say there was definitely a foul. I was I was livid after that because I think it was uh, it, there was no doubt it was in, in my mind clear foul in the dressing room's mind. After the game, we all knew it was a, it was a clear foul. But um, you know, sometimes you just don't get those calls and things don't go your way. But had we got that call, who knows how the rest of the season would have played out? I think we probably would have got ourselves. Um, had we got the the draw in that game, I'm, I'm no doubt in my mind we would have finished uh, we would have finished fourth in the in that season. Paul, we have to ask you about that game, that Lasagna Gate game, because we've had you know over this last month or two. A lot of experts players on during that period actually playing that game didn't feature, but you mean know, you were heavily involved in that campaign. Despite Arsenal winning their two games in hand, Spurs only had to match their result in the final game of the season in order to secure that full spot. Now we know what happened; we missed out on the final day against West Ham. I mean, tell us because you wasn't playing that game, Paul. What was the emotion surrounding that game and the build-up to it? And obviously, it's now famously, you know, dubbed Lasagna Gate. What was your what, yeah. was, what does what was that like, Paul? That game and the build up to it. You know, it was unfortunate. We had a number of players injured. Ledley was injured. I had you know I had uh, I had done my knee ligaments. I was injured. Jermaine, I think Jermaine Genus, if I'm not mistaken, was injured as well. There was a number of us who had played a lot of the season um, were injured going into that game, and we were we weren't fit, but we were headed to the stadium anyways. But uh, to to watch the game, we were all heading there together, but. Um, yeah, there was a it was a big big pressure. There was enormous amount of pressure to uh, to finish fourth. It was probably more uh, more pressure because it was Arsenal chasing chasing us down. We had a lead. Uh, we had that fourth spot for pretty much the entire season. Probably something we weren't used to as a club, as players, uh, as as a team. We weren't used to being maybe that high in the standings for a long long time. So maybe a little inexperience led into the way there. But at the end of the day. It was it was tough just because we really weren't at full strength. Everyone knew that it was a it was a situation where we got into that game against West Ham, who who really were highly highly motivated to see us uh, probably not finish fourth um, at the time. So they don't think they had much to play for in the game, but they were really highly motivated to 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 win the match and the um, and we were depleted. The guy the, the lads who had played were able to get onto the pitch. Um, you know, some of them were being were, were sick in the dressing room right before kickoff. Some were sick. Uh, a couple hours before kickoff, after kickoff, halftime. It was just a, uh, it was one of those situations where nothing, uh, it just didn't go right. We didn't have the legs, we didn't have the players, we didn't have the, uh, we didn't have the horses to run the race uh, on that day. And it was really, real unfortunate because it was, you know, a buildup of 37 games where we were playing some real high level football and some football where we probably deserved uh, to finish in that fourth spot and real bitter to come to the end there and see it. Uh, See it ended in a way where we really weren't at full strength, as opposed to maybe losing when you're when you've got your full team out there, or even close to your full team out there. That summer, Tottenham announced the signing of Pascal Chimbonda. 
did you have a heads up from Martin that he was going to be going out and signing another right back? And did he give you sort of any assurances over your role in the team and, and your position at the club moving forward? No, it, it, there wasn't uh, that situation where, other than uh, myself knowing and the rest of the club squad knowing that we were we were playing in Europe. We knew that, um, you know, like any big squad, they needed, uh, uh, they wanted two players in every position uh, as well. So that, you know, you know that as well. So, you know, you, you know, they did bring in another player. Um, uh, but Martin, you know, he, we, we talked about things and, and I knew that, uh, you know, my time maybe would come where we'd be playing games. It would be, it wasn't a situation where I'd be completely out. Uh, there'd be games where I would be playing, but it was a, you know, obviously not the best situation knowing that they'd signed another player that, um, you know, probably was given the nod to start in, in especially the beginning of the season over yourself. But, uh, it's something as a pro you've got to be able to deal with. You've got to be able to to manage those competitions inside of the squad as well. Uh, but it, it was nothing different than I was used to probably in Bremen when I was there. I just reminded myself of those situations there where um, at, at times in the in your early on in your career where you always had to prove yourself. You weren't uh, necessarily always first choice. You always had competition. You always had to be better than the, than the player beside you to get selected. So it was one of those situations where you just got to be mentally strong again and to... Uh, Welcome to competition. Pascal's a great guy. Uh, I like him a lot. We had some. Uh, uh, he's a real funny guy. Enjoyable. Met, saw him again uh, last uh, last year at the at the stadium when uh, when we played in the game against Inter uh, in front of uh, in the opening of the of the new Spurs stadium. So it was great to see him. And he's uh, you know like anything, all the teammates are all end up good guys, even though you're, they're you're kind of your competition and you're you're you know the guy that's playing in front of you or you're playing in front of at the time. Tell most fans, Paul, it was over 10 years ago and they probably can't quite believe it that, in fact, even the hero of that night responded by saying you well, really well. It's a night that Spurs fans, certainly those present, will never forget. That night at Upton Park in March 2007, that night we come from 2-0 down to level at 2-2, only to go behind again five minutes from time. The night where Dimitar Berbatov curled home, an exquisite free kick to level again at 3-3. And then on the 89th minute, that's the night where you, yeah, you, you found yourself with an open goal to pop home the winner in injury time. I mean, talk us through that game against West Ham and what it was like to play in, what it was like to score and the scenes, Paul, with those away fans. It must still be, I mean, an incredible game to even reflect upon even for you. Yeah, it was. I mean, it, you know, I get, uh, again, you know, usually reminded about once a, once a year on it when, when, the, when that fixture kind of rolls around. Uh, I guess it was a little bit extra special. Um because of the result uh, the year before that, where we, uh, uh, you know, where we where we just spoke about, where we where we just came up short on on our goal of finishing fourth, uh, and it, but it was a game of back and forth. You know, you it's you know typical, uh, you know, one of those games that you love to to play in. You know, it was probably voted you know best game of the year uh, for rightful reason, and you know, fortunately for us, we were able to to swing the tie in our favor. Uh, like you said, back and forth, uh, you just, you didn't know when it was going to stop. You just, fortunate for us and fortunately for myself after that, uh, after that winner, you kind of knew it was done then there, there and then, and hope, you know, you're, you know, it was, uh, one of those situations where thank God it wasn't a minute or two left, uh, on the, on the time because, uh, who knows what could have happened after that, but it was, uh, it's extra special to, to not only get the winner, but the winner really literally at the, at the last kick of the game. And right in front of the fans, uh, to be able to celebrate that was uh, was something extra special as well. In October 2007, Tottenham actually sacked Martin Yole on a very strange evening where we were playing Getafe in the UEFA Cup at White Hart Lane. And you was on the bench that evening as, as news filtered through to supporters at half-time of Martin's sacking. How do you remember that night at all and, and what sort of the feeling was like for players before and after the game? You know the players aren't daft. Uh, the the manager isn't daft. He kind of knows what situations are, what the situation was. We were under pressure. Uh, we obviously started the league, the the campaign out very very poorly. We, str- we were struggling, um, just uh, finding our feet, getting getting some results. We were in Europe, where we had to get results as well. And um, yeah, it was a strange game because uh, news kind of kind of got filtered through. Uh, to the players, kind of got filtered through to the players on the bench in the second half a little bit, if I can remember. And then we kind of, you know, once the whistle went, we could, you know, sense that something was wrong in the in the stands, something was wrong in the atmosphere of the of, of in the stadium, and we kind of knew um, 
after that result and then getting back into the dressing room, uh, we knew then there and then that something had, uh, something had changed and Martin was, uh, uh, was released. So it was, um, yeah, very, like I said, something I'd never had before, never experienced before in my time, uh, you know, and, and something not special because it's, uh, it's something you're not proud of because obviously us as a team, us as a, as players, we kind of let the, let the manager down. We, you know, the results are, you know, unfortunately they, um, uh, are the responsibility of the manager in the end, but you know, the players are the ones playing, the players are the ones kicking the ball. So the players ultimately, um, got to take that responsibility as well. And we, we struggled and, uh, we weren't, uh, uh, he ended up having to take, uh, the responsibility of that. But like I said, the players, uh, they held their part in that as well. Now we saw income one day Ramos his replacement. I mean, we have to ask you, Paul, what was your first reaction to the appointment of one day Ramos? Because this is a very experienced coach that won back to back UEFA cups at the time before joining Spurs. I mean, what was that felt like for you having the opportunity to play under him or maybe not so much play under him and reaction of him coming to the club? We'd known Sevilla quite well because we'd played them in the, in the UEFA Cup uh, year prior to um, when they had won it uh, as well. We had a real close, if you guys remember, we had a real close game, uh, tie against them. We you know, could have went either way. We, were, we came up just short uh, on beating them as well. Um, that season, I think it was in the quarterfinal there where the fixture list just got real built up on us and we lost that quarterfinal. We lost quarterfinal against Chelsea as well uh, in the FA Cup. So it was, uh, it was that period of time there was, it was tough on us, but um, it was a real, it was a battle. So we'd known them quite well. Obviously managers come in, they've got different opinions, different uh, ways of playing. They've got opinions on players. We had a different sport director at the time as well, um, who wasn't, uh, who had didn't, who hadn't signed me. So he had maybe a different opinion on, on myself as well as a player. And that's just football. You understand it when when you get older. It's frustrating when you're a player. Don't understand it as much. But it, when you're when you're older and you're into managing, you're into coaching. You understand. You know, player um, coaches just got different opinions, and um, there was nothing different than there. It's just a matter of um, Juan having a different opinion on uh, on myself and maybe a number of other players, and the, and that was it. It was nothing personal. It was just something that uh, the way he went about it. And, um, the way he chose to pick his players, and like I said, any any manager has every right to pick uh, pick the players he wants and pick the players he wants to play with. Obviously, your your time getting into the team uh, then lapsed a little, and you actually joined Fulham on loan for the second half of the 2007 and 8 season, where you played a part as Roy Hodgson turned the team around from Premier League strugglers into a, a really decent footballing side. What did you make of your experience under under one day as a whole then, and were you disappointed not to be able to give an uh, sort of opportunity to break back into the Spurs first team. Yeah, it, it was strange actually because the the loan the the loan agreement with Fulham kind of came out, came about when I was uh, had a little bit of a run of games uh, under one day. It was probably uh, a few games there where I was starting you know he'd give me a chance to actually play um and prove myself but um you know you got that you, you just sensed that uh, that feeling that um you weren't going to be his first choice and um Fulham came along uh, with an offer uh, to you know continue playing in the Premiership and and help them uh, help them in their battle to uh, in their relegation battle uh, to save himself and it was a uh, you know Roy Hodgson who was you know real experienced manager at the time um, it was a great situation it fit well for me um, as well as a big challenge something I'm you know never used uh, was never used to playing um, in that situation with a team fighting for relegation. Uh, as well so it was you know it was it was frustrating at the time to leave to leave Tottenham and not be really have that um, real opportunity or chance to prove myself under the new manager um, but it was again it was a, it was an opportunity to play football uh, see out the season I played on I played every game that I was at uh, at the club at the time with Fulham so it was a good chance to get myself going again and playing regularly so something I didn't really want to turn down. Now, your contract, Paul, was terminated by Spurs by mutual consent on December the 21st, 2008. Did you always feel for you, Paul, that was always going to be the case? Or would you have liked to remain at Spurs and be given more of an opportunity to really push on at the club? Yeah, to be honest, I think after after the loan at Fulham, it was going to be a situation where returning to the club, uh, you know, there might have been a, probably a slimmer chance than, than uh, if I was a betting man. But... Um, you know, and there was a, there was some opportunity there, maybe even to join Fulham. Um, after that season, that didn't work out, and so there was a few other opportunities uh, 
throughout that summer that didn't work out, a few opportunities in Germany that didn't work out. But um, I think towards the end of the, uh, you know, the end of that Christmas break, knowing that um, there was some opportunity maybe uh, in early January if things uh, worked out in, in Germany where they were on their break, uh, there was an opportunity maybe there. So we, we'd come to an agreement. Uh, it was unfortunate, to be honest, because Harry had just taken over. And um, at that time, uh, you know, we had some good conversations. Harry really liked me. Um, and he gave me every indication, you know, that uh, that I would have a chance, have an opportunity. But it might have been just at uh, the wrong time, the wrong moment at the wrong time. And uh, there was another opportunity that come up uh, or was, you know, potentially coming up. That So we had agreed to... Uh, to kind of part ways, but it was it was a little bit unfortunate because it would have been a it would have been a real pleasure to work under Harry at the club. He you know I you know in that short time that he'd taken over, some real good memories of him. He was uh, um, someone who brought me back into the into the squad into the team and it welcomed me, liked me as a player, like I said. Um, but it was just probably a little bit too late at that time to to uh, continue my career there. After leaving Spurs, you returned to the Bundesliga, having been signed immediately by Borussia Mönchengladbach. Where you joined fellow international Rob Friend. Did you have any other interest at the time, or was that your preference to return back to Germany? Yeah, I think there was an opportunity. There was a couple of opportunities there. Um, you know, once the contract got uh, ended at Tottenham, um, there was a few. There was one or two uh, other places, other clubs in other countries that were kind of inquiries. But you know, it's a when you start getting older, you, you have to, you have to focus your time on, on something that, you know, I think, uh, German football, I knew really well that opportunity came about. And it was, again, it was a very similar situation that, uh, that I found myself in at, at Fulham where we were glad, but we were really struggling at the bottom of the table. Um, after the winter break, um, yeah, they needed, you know, a, a big second half of the season. Uh, and they'd signed some some experienced players. They brought some experienced players in and, and given it a, a real go. And uh, I was, you know, it was it was a good opportunity for me to get back playing, uh, get back to a league that I that I knew quite well uh, in a, in a nice uh, area of Germany as well. So it was it was that kind of situation where that was probably the best fit at the time for me. So uh, that was the decision being that I made, and it was a you know at that time the right decision. We were successful. We, we managed to stay up. Uh, and if you you see the club, it's under um, the same sport director who signed me is still there, and they're doing a real fantastic job. And the club is uh, has taken off. It's a it was, it's a huge club. Mitchell Club is a massive club. Uh, they get supported. You know, fifty, sixty thousand uh, people a game are coming to the stadium week in and week out um, there. So it's a it's a huge traditional uh, football club in in Germany. Paul, you announced your retirement as a player at the age of 35. You now currently serve as assistant coach for a Canadian Premier League side, York 9. Tell us about your new experience and you also have aspirations one day, Paul, of going on to be a manager. Once I'd finished my career, I came back, into, in, uh, came back home, came back to Toronto and started actually working with the Federation, uh, the Canadian Federation uh, in the youth teams. I started with the 15s and the 17s, uh, had some experience with the U20s. Um, and even into the senior team, where I was assistant assistant coach of the of the senior team as well. Um, so I was able to, in in five or six years, kind of go through every level of of, of coaching. Um, at that time, uh, I was the head coach of the U seventeen team uh, as well at the, for a couple of years. So it was a it was a great experience. And then um, uh, I you know stopped working with the federation. There, I took a step back. Um, York Nine is basically um, managed by my a good buddy of mine, Jimmy Brennan, who who I played with for a number of seasons in in uh, with the national team. Grew up actually playing with him um, in the local football leagues here in, in in Canada. So I've known him for a number of years and years and years. He's um, and York is uh, York Nine is, is is real close to my my home here. Uh, I don't have to didn't have to move. It was it's kind of a no brainer in my situation to say you know. It's, uh, the opportunity wasn't there in the first season because of just uh, where I was with my career and, and and still kind of just finishing off of the national programs and stuff like that. So uh, this opportunity came about, um, you know, you don't have to move. I didn't have to move my house. I didn't have to move my family. Uh, like I said, the, the club is 10 minutes from my, my place. So it was a, it's a great opportunity to work with a, a good friend of mine again. Uh, and, and get back into the into the professional environment and, and start again uh, in playing in a you know managing coaching in a club that's that's in full time professionals that's that's something 
um, down the road that definitely of interest in, for me. But, uh, you know, we'll have to see. I, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying what we're doing. We just started preseason uh, here until we came up with the with, we were forced into this break, but hopefully we can get get ourselves going again because I was, you know, starting to really, really enjoy my time uh, being back on the pitch every day. Absolutely delighted to see you uh, return to the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium opening in the Spurs Legends match against Inter Milan, as you touched on earlier. What was it like playing in that new stadium, and what was what did it feel like to you seeing Tottenham as a club come so far and to have moved into this, you know, super stadium? stadium is fantastic it is un, you know like like most fans who've been there they probably you know they've seen it themselves it's it's absolutely perfect i mean there isn't uh, um you can't say there's nothing you can say uh about it that they've missed they've they've ticked every box i think you know that it was a great experience to be to be able to be one of the first um uh players to to or former players to be able to play into in their we had a, it was a great environment, great uh, atmosphere there. We, you know, fifty odd thousand people watching, a bunch of old guys running around, which was something special to to have again and uh, to see your former a lot of your former teammates out there was was real fun, real good experience. And uh, yeah, uh, to see the club to come to see the club as to where they are now, you know, just losing out in the Champions League last season. It's it, I, I I still kind of remind. Remind the fans of where where this you know where the club has come in the last 10, 15 years. You know, it's a you yeah you measure success based on you know a lot of people measure success based on trophies and based on silverware, but if you look at the success of the club, uh, you know it's almost year in and year out playing in the Champions League, a, advancing into the Champions League, even you know like you said getting to the final of the Champions League, playing at the top of the table, second, third place finishing. That's something probably before I got to Tottenham 15 year, odd years ago. That's uh, that's something that was you know not even in the back of anybody's mind. It was the ambition of just being in the top half of the table. If, you know, and that, you know that's 10, 15 years ago. That isn't that that long ago. And now it's uh, um, it's a club that's just like you said taken off. It's uh, it's established itself as in the top four or five of, of English football without a doubt. And the sky is the sky is definitely the limit there. It's uh, you know it's it's great to see as a former player where this club has been, uh, where this club has gone. Now, Paul, obviously, since you played in that stadium, we have had a managerial change, and we always ask ex-players that we've had on what they've made of that change of manager. We saw obviously a very popular man in Maurizio Pochettino leave the club. In has come Jose Mourinho, obviously a man that is a serial winner who he says determined to bring trophies to Tottenham. We have to ask you just on your opinion, what did you make of Spurs parting ways with Maurizio Pochettino and the appointment of Jose Mourinho? And do you believe he will prove to be a success at Tottenham and deliver those trophies that Spurs fans are craving? I think it was a situation where um, after, after the hype, getting to the Champions League final, final last year and... and you know, really playing some some high high level football. I think that, that that's probably the best Tottenham team uh, you've seen. You've seen, even though there's been some great ones in the last uh, few years, that team was at its real high. It, you know, it was fantastic, but it was it, it kind of unfortunate the way the season started. The number of players, maybe contracts running out, uh, going into their final year, that took over a lot of the the discussion in the press and in the media. Um, uh, the discussion after the game, whether Pochettino was even going to come back for, for that season as well was always there. So it was kind of strange because it wasn't, uh, they didn't really get, take that momentum from the final and take that momentum from last season and come again into this season. It was kind of like, it almost kind of like hitting a wall and kind of taking a step back. And I think that's what kind of happened. And, you know, you never like to see a manager get changed. And unfortunately they, they, I guess uh, the club felt that they, they had to make that change um as well but you know you, when you're not on the inside and you don't know the actual discussions being placed it's hard to judge but they made that decision um uh, you know thinking that that's what needed to be done and you know, obviously i don't need to sit here and and uh, tell you jose's um uh, what he's done what accomplishments he's had in his career his resume speaks for itself and and i know that he's going to be determined um to be successful. I know he's going to be determined to prove a lot of doubters wrong. I know he's going to be determined to say that he can, that he's still going to be a winner, that he's still a winner um, and prove to everybody that uh, he can bring something to the club. And I'm sure that he's working uh, and he'll work every day to do that. Again, you probably couldn't have come up with a better name at that time. 
who was available and who was ready and who was, had that success that he's had, you probably wouldn't have been able to find one uh, and you still probably couldn't find one that's uh, been able to and, and had the success that Jose's had in his career. What, when you were at Tottenham, who did it feel like in the dressing room were the real leaders amongst the squad? Who sort of pulled us together when things were, weren't going so well and, and said, you know, come on, guys, let's sort this out? Yeah, well, you, you know, you always look to, you know, your captains are always uh, the first line in that, you know, taking that responsibility on. Uh, I know that in, in, in captaining the national team is, is, is the exact same thing. But, um, you, know, let, you, know, you know, Ledley King was a big factor uh, in the dressing room. Uh, Robbie Keane was a was a you know a big factor in the dressing room. Uh, those kind of guys, you know, they kind of led the group in 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 one sense. You know, it, even in the first season that I was there, bringing in a guy like Edgar Davids had you know that experience alone. Um, he was a big factor in the in the in the dressing room too. But um, I'd say over the time, no doubt it was it was Ledley. Uh, Robbie has Robbie as well. But uh, I'd say those two probably. In the time I was there, had a had a big uh, had a big say and took the big responsibility, uh, and they were really the two captains of the club. Uh, you know, Robbie being the assistant captain and and uh, being the captain of the club. The final question we have to ask you: Who was the best ever player that you played with at Tottenham? Uh, Ledley King, and uh, I say that. Uh, Strictly on the basis of there, there, you know, there's the names are the names are unbelievable. If you really think about uh, how fortunate uh, I've been in my career to play alongside some of the some of the names that that, that played for the club and and played alongside me was uh, you know there's some unbelievably talented players, some fantastic players, some real world class players, names that uh, that are still playing until today. But um, I'd say I say Ladley just because he played alongside me at the back and. Um, uh, he's just a, he was an absolute machine, an absolute beast. You knew um, when you were playing beside a guy like that, even though if you had, even if a little slip up here or there, he was ready, he was always there to, to help you out. He was, he was just a player that, like you said, like, like everyone knows, didn't, uh, could hardly train because of, uh, because of his knee. Um, but you, you just, uh, you, you see what he was able to do every weekend and, and bring that kind of uh, level where I consider him uh, not just probably the best player I've played with at the back, but um, probably at my time, I have no doubt saying he was he was one of the best, if not the best defender in all of uh, English football. Um, that's how high I, I, I kind of regard the Ledley. And I think, to be honest with you, Paul, we, we would agree. I mean, Ledley was, I mean, such a fabulous player. And it's just crazy when you think that a guy could really just come out of nowhere and play football in the space of, you know, not training all week. And some of the performances he put in were just absolutely memorable and I'm sure like I say you know John you probably feel the same about Ledley just what a career he had and God what he could have achieved if he hadn't have been injured for a lot of the time. An absolute legend and anyone associated with Tottenham Hotspur remembers Ledley so fondly so yeah it was a real pleasure to see him play over a number of years and uh, we always will wonder what, what could have been with Ledley but hearing from Paul saying that he was you know uh, could have been or was the best defender in England at the time is something we would agree with having been in week in week out and it's also great to hear that from pros who played alongside him. Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on to reflect on some old times at Tottenham. So thank you ever so much for coming on, and we wish you all the very best, Paul. Yeah, thanks, guys. It was a pleasure. It was uh, it was fun. It was uh, you know uh, any time. It was a uh, it was a great opportunity to uh, to talk and think about the old times, and uh, also uh, like you said, hopefully uh, hopefully we can start uh, talking about the the recent football games um, or the, the next games coming up, as opposed to. Uh, Speaking too much about the past, you know, hopefully we can get ourselves going again. Agree. Well, listen, Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you ever so much again for coming on to the last word on Spurs. And like I say, we wish you all the very best. Here's Keane. Another promising opportunity. A stunning goal from Paul Stoutani. His first in English football, and it's given Tottenham a very comfortable lead going into half-time. Zamora's lost down here. Referee looks at his watch as he races forward. It's Jermaine Defoe, and he's got Lennon up with him, and only Kuczewski to beat at the moment.
towards Lennon. Thatcher beats him in the air, but it falls to Mido here, who took it well on his chest. Keane, Robbie Keane. Oh, and again, James is denied, but still Terry coming forward from the back. Gives Spurs the lead two minutes before half time. The goal from an improbable source after David James had made that great save from Keane. Sports Social Podcast Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.